Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mike. Lauren. Would you consider your home a smart home? Like, do you have all the gadgets there? Do you have a security camera and an Alexa speaker? And then, I don't know what else, a Sonos? (laughs) I do have a Sonos. Um, I would consider my home a smart home just because I'm a consumer products editor at Wired, which means that- get out. Yeah, I know. Um, There's a lot of stuff in in our house that talks to- the internet. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in our house that sends notifications to our phones. We, you know, Sonos is the big one. I don't have a ring camera. Uh, I don't have any security cameras in in the house or right outside of it. And um, I don't have any Alexa speakers. How about you? I do have a security camera. Right now its battery is drained and I haven't bothered to recharge it. So if anyone wants to break in, <laughs> have at it. Please do not. <laughs> Please don't. Yeah, there's some stuff. I have a Google Nest Hub in my bedroom. It does not have a camera. That was very intentional. It does have some kind of radar, but um, I like having the screen. I use it to, I don't know, query stuff, Mm -hmm. play music. But I intentionally have not had an Alexa in my home for a few years now. I used to review a lot of those products, but I don't use it anymore. I'm curious about why you don't want them in your house anymore. I'm curious about the thing you just wrote about, which is really about... Amazon trying to take over the smart home world by ensuring your smart home products are always connected to Wi-Fi. I would love to tell you about it. Let's do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And today on the show, we're talking about Sidewalk. If you're really plugged into the tech world, you might be thinking, wait, isn't that a Google thing? Either that or you think we're reporting from some kind of concrete convention. We've switched beats, Mike. We are, uh, we're no longer covering tech. This is a construction show now. <laughs> Solid. Yes. All right. Neither is the case. Sidewalk is an Amazon project. It was also once the name of a Google smart city project, but that has been shuttered. Amazon Sidewalk is basically a low bandwidth Wi-Fi network made up of all of the ring security cameras and doorbells across your neighborhood. It's been around since June of 2021, and earlier this week, Amazon made its developer kit available to the public. Now, Mike, you set out 
to report on Amazon Sidewalk. And you made some really interesting discoveries. One is that its footprint is actually huge. And the second is that most people you spoke to had no idea that they were even an active part of Amazon Sidewalk. So first tell us, just how big is Amazon Sidewalk? When the company announced the um, the update on Tuesday of this week, uh, they let it be known that 90% of the U.S. population is covered by Sidewalk's network. So 90% of the U.S. is Amazon's footprint right now for Wi-Fi that's out there and available for devices to take advantage of. This is something that, based on the sample of people you asked, most people have not really heard of. That's right. And it's wild. Yeah, it is. It's kind of mind-boggling to think about when you think about a company that is as big as Amazon and makes so much stuff that so many people have, right? Like we were just talking about. It uses Ring doorbells and wired ring cameras, as well as recent Echo speakers. So everything from the Echo Dot to the Echo Home Hub, which is like the the Echo with a screen on it. Mm -hmm. um, it uses those as part of its network. And when Amazon turned it on, uh, they made all of those devices active on the network. So it is much bigger than you might think. And the coverage is actually great. Uh, I got uh, the opportunity to look at some of the coverage maps, and San Francisco, our city, is almost entirely covered. The only parts that are not are the parts where nobody lives, like the top of the hill, you know? <laughs> um, Oakland, similarly, almost entirely covered. Berkeley, almost entirely covered with signal from Amazon sidewalk. So you've been walking around your neighborhood and what exactly have you been seeing? What have you been looking at in order to determine where Amazon sidewalk is? Uh, well, I've been looking at a map that is being populated by a test kit. Amazon sent me a little fob. Uh, it's a little battery powered device about the size of a matchbook. It has a blinking LED on it. It also has a ring logo on it. <laughs> and I just carried it around and it sniffs for the availability of sidewalk signal wherever you are. So I live in San Francisco. Uh, and as I was walking around, I could open up a web page tied to my Amazon account that is for developers to see what their coverage map looks like. So on the map, I could see all the places that I carried this little thing over the course of three or four days. And I could see what the signal strength was in all of the places that I walked. And it was universally fine. Some places it was great. Some places the signal was a little bit sketchy. But in most places, it was like a usable signal. And it's a totally discrete network. It is. So it's important to note that like you can't really like browse the web on this is not like free Wi-Fi. You know, you can't just like fire up YouTube connect a sidewalk and fire up YouTube and like watch a video, you know, uh, it is specifically for smart home devices to use and they have to have special hardware to tap into it and they have to have, you know, special permission from Amazon's developer program to attach into it. So it's, it's uh, like a low bandwidth version of the Wi-Fi that's in your house. So it can send and receive some data, but it's not, you know, traditionally what we think of when we think of like free Wi-Fi. It's, it's it, sort of right. like... It's not like city-provided Wi-Fi in the subway station or something like that. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, when you first told me that you were testing this, I thought you were going to be walking around your neighborhood and streaming YouTube videos on your phone and not using data and that that was the point of it. But actually, it is for Amazon's own smart home network. And the idea is if the 
power goes out, which we've been experiencing a lot here in San <laughs> Francisco, yep. that and the Wi-Fi went out, that these would still be connected. That's how that's what the point of this is. Yes, that's one of the points. Okay, uh, that is one of the big selling points. Uh, basically, it is Amazon's network, right? It's a network that's been built on the backbone of all of these Amazon branded smart home products. Those serve as endpoints in the network and they're everywhere, right? However, now it's open to other developers. So if you make a gadget, you can put a special chip in that gadget and make it so they can also attach to the network. So that's really why they they wanted us to go out and write about how good the coverage is because they want to sort of, you know, send out the message to the world that like, hey, there's this network available you can tap into. So if I want to put my gadget on the network, yes, uh, I can connect to the internet without really having to set it up because it turns on and if it's programmed to look for a sidewalk signal, it'll see one because I live in a densely populated city and it will already be able to do some connected stuff even though I haven't gone through the setup process yet. So that's one thing, right? It makes like turning these things on and getting them to work much easier. It also allows you to use gadgets that are away from your router. So if you think about something in your backyard, mm -hmm. like a solar panel controller or a camera or a moisture sensor in your backyard or in your basement, maybe it can't see your router that well, mm -hmm. but it can definitely see the sidewalk signal that's emanating from your next door neighbor's Alexa speaker, which is in the window, right? So it can use the available signal that's sort of ambiently everywhere because everybody owns Amazon and Ring devices. <laughs> Uh, to connect to the internet. So if my internet goes out and I have a ring doorbell, my ring doorbell can use Sidewalk to still send me a notification on my phone to tell me that somebody's at my door. And how is your next door neighbor supposed to feel about that? The fact that they might have an echo or a ring and perhaps unbeknownst to them, your moisture sensor in your backyard is pulling off of their Wi-Fi signal. I don't know even know, I don't I don't even know if that's the best way to describe it. <laughs> Unbeknownst is absolutely the best word because uh, it's it a lot of people do not know that this network even exists or that they are participating in it and in fact it does and they are. And they will be sharing bandwidth with their neighbors, they already are, and they're going to be sharing bandwidth with even more devices now that Sidewalk is open to developers and we're going to see more devices that work on the network. So this is breaking my brain a little bit. Does this in any way affect the strength of your signal then if you're part of this? Like if I, okay, let's say I'm using Comcast as my internet service provider, and then I have a bunch of Ring and Echo devices, and those are connecting to the internet through mm -hmm. Comcast, but then they're also sort of beaming out their own network, um, and my neighbors are utilizing that. Yep. Does that affect the strength of my signal in any way? How does that work? So the short answer is yes, it okay. does. But the longer answer is you really don't have to worry about it. Um, bandwidth is very low. It's capped at 80 kbps, which is about like about a 20th of what you need to stream a video. So it's like very low bandwidth, right? It's enough to send a notification. It's almost enough to send an email quickly. Uh, but, you know, for for these little packets of like data, like, hey, I'm here or just reporting a status, which is mostly what mm -hmm. sidewalk devices are doing, uh, it's very, very low bandwidth. So, you know, most of the devices aren't be going to be using that full 80 
kbps um, also if you are in a household and you have all of your devices enrolled in sidewalk it, the system is only allowed to use 500 megabytes a month of your bandwidth of your total bandwidth so for people who maybe pay by the megabyte or pay by the gigabyte they don't really have as much to worry about because 500 gigabytes over a month is like highly unlikely given how low bandwidth these devices are and the amount of wi-fi that somebody can probably not notice if somebody else is using you know what i mean yeah despite the fact that it's very low bandwidth i have to imagine that traditional isps don't love this i'm not sure how the isps feel about it because i didn't like interview any isps but i did interview a lot of regular old citizens who have wi-fi networks and they were all shocked and appalled when i told them what was going on <laughs> let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk more about that This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. One of the things that you've discovered as you've been using Amazon Sidewalk Mike is that Amazon customers are a part of this relatively new smart home Wi-Fi network by default. And a lot of them don't know that. Tell me about this. Okay, this is this is tricky. So I'm going to do my best here and stay with me. Um, Amazon first started talking about Sidewalk a few years ago. And then in June 2021, they turned it on, right? When they turned it on, they activated all of this beaming of Wi-Fi out into the world on Echo speakers, Echo smart home objects, right? The branded Echo and some Ring devices. Uh, so Ring devices that are wired, uh, Ring devices that have a camera because those are the ones that are a little bit more high bandwidth, right? Uh, enabled all of those by default. So all of a sudden when it turned it on, boom, here's a nationwide network being powered by everybody's stuff. You know, Wired wrote a story about this. Every outlet wrote a story about this. If you go online and you search like Amazon Sidewalk and you go to the news results, you'll see a bunch of stories about Amazon is turning on Sidewalk. And then those same publications will also have a second story that says how to disable Amazon Sidewalk, <laughs> right? So it was obviously a concern because um, Amazon did put out a white paper about its security measures that it's taking. And it it is taking pretty good security measures. However, the whole idea of this company 
like selling you a bunch of stuff that you buy and put in your house and then turning it on so that they can use you to help grow their business without really communicating well what was happening and why it was happening and when it was happening and what exactly was going on. Uh, that was a problem, right? We dinged them for that. A lot of people dinged them for that. So after it launched, Amazon was like, okay, we're going to make it opt out <laughs> and uh, we're going to make it easier to see the opt out message. So now if you like, let's say last year in 2022, if you went out and bought a new Echo speaker and you brought it home and you downloaded the Alexa app and you set it up, then you would see a screen that says, would you like to participate in Amazon Sidewalk? And you can move that slider, right? So that is a relatively new thing. However, there are still countless millions of devices out there that are older than that change and that people haven't really futzed with the settings on since they bought it and set it up who are now participating in Sidewalk. So, you know, I'm walking around all week with this little blinking thing and people see it. All my friends and some strangers ask me like, what's that little blinking thing? And I'd say, oh, it's a beacon that's testing for Amazon Sidewalk signal. And they're like, what is that? And I tell them about it and their eyes get big. You know, they're like, excuse me? Like, what do I need to do? What setting do I need to change? So I tell them like, just search how to disable Amazon Sidewalk if this bothers you. But like literally nobody that I spoke to knew that this was even a thing. Nobody, probably 20 people. Not one of them was like, oh yeah, I've totally heard of that. And I opted in and it's great. Now, like, again, you probably don't really need to worry about it, but if it makes you nervous or it makes you uncomfortable in any way, then you should, you know, go opt out and stop sharing your internet bandwidth with this army of devices out there. And you do that by going into the Alexa app, the Ring app, any other ways you can do that? Yeah. So <laughs> this is uh, this is also a little bit sneaky. I'm not sure how I feel about this, but uh, Amazon does make it relatively easy to disenroll, but it's not the same experience based on how you manage your settings. So you can go into your Amazon account on the web and disable Sidewalk there. When you do that, it disables it for all of your Sidewalk compatible devices associated with your account. If you go into the Alexa app on your phone, you can disable Sidewalk and it will again disable everything on your account. So, you know, it's not device by device. It's not like I want this one to participate, but I don't want these two or three to participate. However, if you're a Ring person and you go into your Ring app and that's where you manage your settings and you disable your Ring devices from Sidewalk, as far as I can tell, it does not change the enrollment of your Amazon Echo devices or any other devices. I should also mention that Tile was an early partner. So if you have a Tile, like the little things mm -hmm. that you put on your keychain so that you can always find your keys whenever you lose them, if you lose your keys all the time. I never do that. <laughs> I, I bought Lauren an AirTag for Christmas. At me. Um, if you have a Tile device, then you are mm -hmm. also enrolled. And we should also mention that this is also the way that Find My works, speaking of AirTags, right? Apple's system uh, right. for finding, you know, lost iPhones, lost AirPods, lost AirTags uses all of the other Apple devices that are out there in the world. And that's also an opt-out experience that they enable by default. Well, I don't think I realized that Find My was totally by default. Yeah. 
um, when it was announced, uh, Apple pushed it out in a software update. Mm -hmm. So it was like an iOS, iPad OS update. And that update enabled it on devices that installed the software. And then also if you bought a new device after that, mm -hmm. during the setup process, it tells you about Find Mine, gives you the option to turn it off, but it's like it's on. Um, one last thing about this. Uh, if you buy an Echo speaker and you bring it home and you have other Echo speakers and you set it up and you do like the easy thing, which is just getting it on your network and just getting Alexa to respond, you're still enrolled in Sidewalk if you have not opted out for all of the devices associated with your account. It's only if you go through the full setup process in the Alexa app that you're given the option to turn it on or turn it off. So, yeah, there's... There's a lot of there are a lot of devices out there, as evidenced by the 90% of the United States that's covered. There mm -hmm. are a lot of devices out there that are on and people don't know about it. And I don't really want to say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because it's such a personal choice about like how you feel about Amazon using your internet connectivity to to build this network. Um, it doesn't really bother me, but I'm sure it bothers a lot of people. <laughs> I want to ask you about that, but first, is Amazon collecting any data about how you use Sidewalk? Uh, I'm sure they're watching who's using the network and how it's being used. Who, as in a person whose imagery is captured by a ring camera? Yeah, to, to be clear, like that stuff is all that stuff's all discreet. Uh, so, okay. like if you're if you're making requests to your Alexa speaker and you're using your ring camera to monitor you know, a video feed from your front porch. Like those things are all happening on your own private network and that stuff's not going out over, over sidewalk. But don't our ISPs collect data? The people who traditionally provide us with our internet, they do collect data about how we are using the internet. Yeah. So if, you're, if, you are, if your device is connected to Amazon sidewalk, and you're using that device, like your, I don't know, you know, your ring camera is capturing something or someone presses the doorbell and the doorbell is connected or you make a, a voice query. Like, wouldn't the ISP in that relationship be Amazon in this case? And what are they doing with that information? Uh, so they say that they are encrypting all of the transmissions over Sidewalk because really what's happening is devices are basically piggybacking on each other's signal to talk to a web service in the cloud, right? It could be AWS. It may not be Amazon Web Services. Maybe you're not required to use AWS if you want to build a gadget that works on Sidewalk. But the important distinction is that the devices are not talking directly to each other, right? It's not a mesh network. It's so like my Alexa speaker is not going to your ring camera and saying, hi, I'm an Alexa speaker. I need to talk to Alexa. And your ring camera is going, okay, here you go. It's just, a, it's like a dumb pipe. So it's using a little slice of the bandwidth that the device is making available, just like all the other devices around it are using that same slice of bandwidth. So it's easy to encrypt a piece of data and send it across that network because the, the waypoints don't really have to interact with it. They just pass it along to its destination. Also, Amazon has said in their white paper and in all of their public announcements about this that the company is keeping use of metadata to an absolute minimum and then includes metadata that is useless to somebody who's trying to snoop on your activity and metadata that gives a hint about what the activity is or your location or any personal identifying information. So, you know, we have to take the company's word on that. 
Um, and anybody who's interested in the white paper, I link to it in the article. We can link to it in the show notes. Uh, if you're like a network nerd, it's kind of fascinating to read something like this because it really, it's like a whole new kind of interaction on a public network. People came to the podcast to hear you talk about it, Mike. Yeah, I, I'll just say 900 megahertz over and over again. <laughs> Low raw. Sure. Yes, we can definitely link you to the white paper. Um, how do you feel about this? So I, I first of all, I'm impressed. I'm impressed not only that the network is as strong as it is everywhere, but also I'm impressed that Amazon managed to do this under everybody's noses. And that I'm that's not really what happened, but that's just how it happened, right? Like Amazon went on stage at a hardware event and said, we're building this vast network. We're using people's ring cameras. We're using echo speakers to do it. Check it out, everybody. This is going to be amazing. It's going to make the smart home much more robust. It's going to make device connectivity worries a thing of the past. It's going to make everybody's connected life easier. And everybody, went, oh, cool. And then they did it. And now you see how successful it was and you're like, oh shit, wow. They really just turned on everybody's speaker and turned it into an endpoint, everybody's ring doorbell. So like that's, you know, I'm impressed in sort of like uh, an evil overlord way, but also just from a technical standpoint. The other thing about it is I really did not know how big of a surveillance state I live in until I did this test and looked to see how many people had like hardwired ring cameras in their doorways. And in my neighborhood, it's like every other house, about 60% of the doors that I counted mm -hmm. had some sort of camera on it. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we think about that. We write about ring cameras all the time. We write mm -hmm. about security cameras. We're always talking about face recognition and all of these technologies that are going on. But doing this test really forced me to like do a survey to see where all the signal is coming from. And I was just like shocked that there's so many cameras. Why did that surprise you? I just I just really hadn't done the thing where you walk around and you count them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm aware of them. I know they're out there. It's just I hadn't really realized how many there were and how pervasive they are and how you are absolutely always on camera when you're walking around the city of San Francisco. That was like a bit shocking. Now, granted, you know, that's been happening a long time and it doesn't really change my feeling about security cameras because like I've made a decision a long time ago that I don't want one. But it did really change my idea about like how people use technology to interact with the world around them. The fact that they are taking precautions of setting up a security camera and pointing it out into the world so that they can protect themselves. And yet that camera probably unbeknownst to them is also sharing their internet connection out into the world and they didn't even know it was happening so when you say that you're impressed it's like are you impressed like you're the um you're the thinking emoji with like one eyebrow raised in the monocle like, are, yeah like what <laughs> hmm what are exactly <laughs> are you doing here or are you impressed in that you think that this is generally a, a positive thing uh, that this is the future of always on low bandwidth Wi-Fi and that, you know, maybe it's a good thing in the instance of an emergency. Well, I think that it's it is going to be useful for a lot of people. Right. Particularly people who um, live maybe outside of the city grid that we're on, 
Because if you have a ranch and you want to set up sensors all around your ranch. I have been wanting to set up sensors on my ranch. Right? Yeah. It's important. I just ugh, haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Let, let me put this into terms that might okay. be a little bit more relevant Yeah. I'm getting the barn renovated right now. So please continue. All right. So let's say you have a giant yacht. Oh. And you want to have sensors all over your yacht. Yeah. I and... sold that. In this climate? <laughs> Oh my God, can you check the stock market? Please continue. <laughs> Whatever your situation is, uh -huh. you, you don't like you don't really need to worry about Wi-Fi anymore, other than the places where you actually hang out, right? The places that are sort of farther away mm -hmm. on your property, or the places that you know, like we were saying earlier, on your roof, on your basement, in your backyard. You don't really have to worry about putting a router somewhere so that device can see the internet. Now, like your your Amazon stuff. Mm -hmm. or anything else that is going to come out over the next mm -hmm. couple of years that uses Sidewalk mm -hmm. can take care of that connectivity problem for you. So in the end, it's like it's going to make life easier for people, right? Things are going to get cheaper and easier for people who are, in, who are into that. The other side of it is that I'm like, it, it's not really going to change my life right away. Uh, if anything, it really just sort of exposed how pervasive Amazon is and how pervasive these technologies are and they're all happening in the background and we're not really thinking about them. Mm -hmm. So that's very Amazon. It is, isn't it? You know, the company has a long track record of just putting like this is this is the same company that convinced millions of Americans to put a microphone in their home. Yep. And convinced us all that we need two day shipping. Yes. And was actually really good at it and made it really easy. Yes. Made so like one click shopping and checking out with your palm even super easy. Yes. So weird. When you go to the grocery store, yeah. and you can buy your coconut water just by putting your palm on a piece of yeah. glass. And you hear like the cackle of Jeff Bezos in the background. <laughs> in between reps because right? he's working out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like it's going to make life easier for people, but it's definitely going to make business better for Amazon because right. now, you know, there is this potentially – army of new devices from other companies coming out that have a chip in it that makes them reliant on Amazon's network being healthy and staying active and being a thing that they can use in the world, right? Mike, this is such a good story. I'm going to encourage all of our listeners to go check it out on Wired.com this week. Let's take another quick break and then come back and do our weekly recommendations, my favorite part. Hackers and cyber criminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Mike. Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> What's your recommendation this week? Mastodon. Mastodon. Yeah. We're back on this horse. We are, yeah. We're back on this mammoth. Um, it's, it's, it's getting weird on Twitter. It's getting weird on Twitter. There's all of this like hand wringing about blue check marks and they're no longer just for celebrities. And yet, 
you know, we've seen evidence that hate speech is rising on Twitter and we've seen evidence that harassment is rising on Twitter. And, you know, I also have a Mastodon account and I've been checking in more often on Mastodon. And there's a lot of people saying, like, I don't understand why people are still posting on Twitter. So, like, the rift is growing. Um, I thought I could double post for a long time. And really, it just comes down to, like, where I am. You know, if I'm working and I have browser tabs open on my computer, I'm on Twitter. If I'm just on my phone, I'm on Mastodon. So I've been enjoying my time more and more on Mastodon as I'm connecting with more people. You and I finally followed each other after however many months, six months. Um, and it's the the community is growing. And like I'm, I'm bringing this up because I'm sure a lot of other people feel the same way, right? Like Twitter, we've all been on Twitter for forever. 10, 15 years for a lot of people that we know. And it feels like home and it feels like a community. And that community feels vibrant and alive. Mastodon feels kind of small and like a little bit tumbleweedy. But remember how Twitter felt when Twitter started. It was also pretty lively, but it also felt a little bit tumbleweedy, right? Mm -hmm. The whole idea is like, I don't want to sign up for Twitter. Yeah, I thought it was a place where people wrote about what they were having for lunch. Yeah. It was mundane. Yeah. Eating a bagel, please, RT. <laughs> right? And yeah. like Mastodon kind of had those vibes for a while, but it's growing. So I'm I'm just like, I'm not going to point to a specific date on the calendar. If I was going to point to a specific date on the calendar, I would say that April 15th is maybe a day to watch Twitter to see what happens. Uh, because Why? that's the date that all of the um, the algorithmic feed is only going to be populated by accounts with blue check marks. Who oh. pay for those blue checks? So marks? the the you have to pay by April first. Yes. Right. Or else lose your free check mark. And then on the fifteenth, this is according to what's his name again? Uh, the guy Tusk? who keeps something Fleetwood, like that. Fleetwood Tusk. Yeah, the guy who keeps tweeting about Twitter. I think yep. he owns it now or something. He does own it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, he he said the 15th is when things change over to the For You feed. That's the date where you will only see tweets in the For You feed that are from verified accounts. And verified accounts will only, at that point, be paid verified accounts. Okay. But then he had an also. He said, like, also, and then said something about how you will still be able to see the people you follow because you've chosen to follow them. Yes. But that's in the follow feed. Yes. But but do we think those two feeds will continue to coexist? I don't think so. Hmm. I think sooner or later, the, the big hammer is going to come down, which is that Twitter just goes straight algo. And there's no more option to see reverse chronological feed, which is what it was built on and why everybody still likes it. Uh, and when that happens, then like the world will end. This is, <laughs> and you need to, you <laughs> need to not hyperbolic. You need to plant your flag on the new world now, which you think is Mastodon. I do. I, th think, I think it has promise. Yeah. This is, this feels like the, it is the beginning of the end of an era. Absolutely. It's, the, it's yeah. We've all been writing a type of eulogy for Twitter for months now. It feels real this time. I didn't want to believe it. Mm -hmm. Right. Same. I was like, oh, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be weird, but it's going to be fine. It's just going to be the same. But, like, it's now, yeah. like, that's it's not going to be the same. I know. It feels like we're in the stage of a breakup where, like, we ha you have acknowledged that the breakup has happened. You've moved on to someone else, but you're still, like, in conversation. You're still just like, man, I got to vent about that that past relationship. Like, it still feels that. We're not, we're not fully moved on. Nope. 
Nope. Mastodon. That's my rack. Yeah. What's yours? Gadget Lab, brought to you by Mastodon. <laughs> brought to you by, <laughs> no, they did by not an open source for... nonprofit. <laughs> yeah, decentralized. <laughs> Communo anarchist. <laughs> <laughs> Wired is going back to the future. Yeah, we're going back to we're the... We're zooming into the past. We're going back to 1890s Russia yeah. <laughs> right now. We have all these different communist factions. Anyway. Or just the early days of Wired. <laughs> Uh, this is not a pirate ship. Yeah. <laughs> What's your recommendation? My recommendation, uh, I made the almond milk. Oh, you did? I did. So a few weeks ago on the show, our diehard fans will remember that I said I was going to buy a nut bag. I enjoyed saying that. A nut bag, a nut milk bag that Mike had recommended. So it was a recommendation baked into a recommendation. Mm-hmm. That I was going to buy a nut, a nut milk bag and then I was going to start making my own almond milk. And it took me a few weeks to <laughs> – no, I have not been soaking the almonds this whole time. <laughs> it took me a few weeks to just get us, everything assembled. And uh, I did it this week. The nut bag recommendation you made it was great. It was really easy to do. I oversalted it slightly. Did you? Yeah. So my recommendation is don't oversalt it. You said a pinch of salt. And I, I think I did a few pinches. And also I was using large grain salt. Okay. And it was just, it was a bit much. When did you put the salt in? I put a pinch in when I was soaking the almonds and uh, then again in the mixture after I had blended it. Ah. Uh, what, yeah. what was I, was I not supposed to do? Oh, well, was, you, I think you double salted it. I double, well, yeah. Yeah. I always soak the nuts, drain them, put them in the blender, put fresh water in and then add salt at that point. Oh, oh yeah. I probably needed more water in there too. Maybe. Yeah. But anyway, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep doing this. Nice. I'm going to keep iterating. I'm going to pivot. I'm probably going to seek some venture capital funding at some point. <laughs> at some point. Launch my own. It's going to be called Good Milk. It's going to be great. Goodmilk.social. Yes. It's goodmilk.social. <laughs> um it's going to it's going to be huge. And um I'm going to own, own all the rights to it. Well, how was the milk? The, like, aside from being a little bit salty, did it turn out okay? Was it? Yeah, what I had to do was I I still had leftover almond milk in a bottle that I had purchased, and so I just cut it down a little bit with the store bought almond milk. Yeah. To try to cut the salt content, and, and but otherwise it was great. Like I totally see myself doing this on a regular basis. Good. It's only getting better. I can tell you that I started making nut milk, and the first like four or five batches, I was like, why am I going through all this trouble? The stuff I buy from the store is better. But after you get it dialed in and you get a little system going and you find a recipe that really works, then it's great. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like when I started making kimchi. For the whole like first year I was making kimchi, it was coming out okay. Now it's like la bomba. You've got it dialed in. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, you know, just those weird kitchen experiments. You just got to keep experimenting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm... Um... I'm definitely uh, at some point I'm going to be I'm going to be seeking some additional financing for this. This um, is great. I'm so. I want to invest. I want, I want to buy a good coin. Yeah, buy some yes, good coins. It's going to sell the milk as an NFT. <laughs> Just kidding. On the nut chain. <laughs> oh, no. All right, I think it's time to wrap this show. Mike, thank you so much for strolling down the sidewalk with me. Sure. It was a pleasure. Yeah. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. Just check the show notes. Also, we love hearing from you in our podcast reviews. So tell us what you like about the show. And if there's something you don't like about the show, well, you can complain to our excellent producer, Boone Ashworth. Goodbye for now. We'll be back next week.
Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From PR.